If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to several different passages in Scripture. Uh, our focal passage will be in, we're back in Luke. Luke chapter 3, verse 21 will, is where we're going to begin uh, as far as our focal passage, but we're actually beginning the message in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Um, we're looking at an incredible panorama of all of human history today and how Luke, the passage that are, is our focal passage, brings that together in the ministry and life of Christ. And especially as we apply it today, how it works its way out in your life. And I don't know about you and your background, but uh, when I was 13 years old, I uh, arrived at a, a church, and I didn't even go into the big church. I went into the Family Life Center. It's what we used to call uh, the youth areas in churches. And in 1984, 13 years old, in Shawnee, Oklahoma, I walked into a building, never having been in church before, never having seen a Bible other than like in a doctor's office, I think, once. Didn't know what it was then. And so I walked in, and they greeted me, and they asked me my name, and I said, hello. And uh, they said, great to have you here. Uh, what's your name? And I told them my name. And they said, do you have a Bible? And I said, what is a Bible? And they go, here you go. It's the Word of God. And I was like, yeah, right. I had never even contemplated who God was, much less the fact that there was a God and he gave us his Word. And so I looked at this book, and I don't know, your Bible's probably on your phone today. I'm kind of old school. I still go back. And I'm looking at this. I'm like, this is the Word of God. Right. I don't believe that for a minute. And uh, I'm looking through it. I'm like, wow, if that's the Word of God, I'm really in trouble because that's a lot of words, right? It's not like one word. That's a bunch of information. How in the world am I supposed to know that and not only know it, but how am I supposed to take that and do it? That's so huge. Well, over the years, I, 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 right off the bat, I went to a, a camp, came to know Christ as my Lord. This word was preached and I could hear the truth in it, uh, that it was true. And I really enjoyed the next few years of my life as I began to study and was taught all the great Bible stories, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I was like, man, this is so cool. But one thing that no one ever did for me, ever, was explain to me how it all came together. What was, what was the entire story? Now, people tried... And it was always focused on Jesus, and, and that kind of made sense. I mean, he was, the, the, he was God in the flesh, and he saved me from my sins, but it just seemed like I didn't get to Jesus really until about two-thirds of the way through the Bible. And like, what was all that before, and how do I live that out, and how does that apply to me today And all the stories of the Old Testament? So the passage this morning, our focal passage in Luke, is where this all comes together. And it will help you to understand how we live out the story of the Bible, the entire story, the focal theme of the entire revelation of God in our lives every single day. And it doesn't really sound possible when you're looking at the entire Bible, but it's actually a very simple story. And it really comes down to this, as you'll see on the slide. The idea is real simple. That those who have trusted in Jesus Christ 
are sons and daughters of God. So if you've made that decision in your life, you're a son or daughter of God. And you are to reflect God in your life. That's the story of the Bible. And as you do that, you reflect his holiness and righteousness as he has dominion as Lord over your life. You go and make disciples. You go and reflect that as image bearers throughout the world. From the beginning of the Bible in Genesis all the way to the end when you see a new heavens and a new earth. And this new earth is pictured as this perfect garden-like temple back very similar to what you see in Genesis 1. We are sons and daughters of God. And if you have that in your mind, especially if you're a mom or dad, and you're trying to raise your children, you don't really care what they go and do. You're concerned about who they are and who they reflect in their speech and actions. So I want to begin a background here, turning in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. And maybe like me, you were raised and you learned all the Bible stories. You got to go to Sunday school. I didn't. And maybe you're even still studying the Bible today and you're trying to put it all together and you have all these notes of all the stuff that you got to do. But it really, really does get simple. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28, it says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God reveals in Scripture the very creation of mankind. We are made in the likeness of God. Now, before we go further here, we've already used the, the phrase sons and daughters of God, and we are made in his likeness, but we are not God. Let me say that again. We are not God. We are not deity. The Holy Spirit dwells in us if we have trusted in God, but we are not deity. And you would think, well, Scott, that's pretty obvious. Uh, if you lived with my husband, you would know he's not God, Right? Or my kids, right? That's, that's fairly obvious. Well, that's actually not obvious, believe it or not, today. If you turn on the TV, if you've ever heard of Kenneth Copeland, Gloria Copeland, Creflo Dollar, anyone under what's called the Word of Faith movement, the essential doctrine and teaching of that movement is called the Little God's Doctrine. They truly believe in this passage of Scripture that people are little gods. That's why they believe this word of faith that as gods, you can speak things into being. So it is an actual teaching today. Even though it seems obvious to you and it's never been taught in the history of Christianity, a guy by the name of Kenneth Hagin last century introduced this doctrine and it becomes very popular because after all, if you're considered a little god, you can do a lot of different things, right? You don't actually have to follow certain things if you are a little God. But that is not true. It's a heresy that's been taught. So let's be very clear here. We're not talking about you being created as little gods, but in the likeness of God. We are all created in his likeness. And in Genesis 1.26, he begins to lay out what is this purpose. He says, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds in the heavens and over livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps along the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. 
male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. So he creates them as image bearers and he gives them a blessing. What is the blessing? And God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So physically they are to multiply, but also spiritually they are to have dominion. They are to subdue the entire earth. They're not just to be there in the garden. They're to go out through all the land and to be God's representatives, subduing and ruling. And this is a blessing. And we get to have, a, he says, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of, and of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So the very purpose of Adam and Eve is to be image bearers of God, to have dominion over all the world, and to multiply, and that's the blessing. But immediately, you know the story, and we're not going to read it, they fail at this. They don't subdue the things that walk and crawl. The snake, the serpent, comes into the garden and attacks Adam and Eve, not physically, but through a lie. And it's a twisting of God's word. So rather than being image bearers and knowing the word of God, they slightly distort God's word and buy into the lie. And God judges them for that. Rather than having access to the tree of life and all of eternity, eternal life, the whole world, all of a sudden they lose that access. They are cursed and condemned, but they are not immediately judged physically. The good news is this, that God doesn't stop there with Adam and Eve. Throughout the Old Testament, this command of being fruitful and multiply and going and subduing the land is related to individual after individual after nation, these Adam-like figures in the Old Testament, until finally we come up to the New Testament. Just as a few examples of Noah, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, it says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The same command that is given to Adam and Eve. But Noah fails. Then we, we later see in Genesis 35, 10, and 11, And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. This is after Abraham fails and Isaac. And uh, he says, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. So we see this idea of being fruitful and multiplying and then ruling over the land. This is Israel, but Israel once again fails. Not only that, but notice this. In Exodus 4.22, this Adam-like figure who fails in Noah and fails in Abraham, and then finally it's transferred to um, Israel as a corporate nation, it says this, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, this is God speaking to Moses, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. So we have this, not only this command and blessing, but we have the introduction of a title of sons. Now you thought, well, I thought Jesus was the one and only Son of God. We, we heard that quotation, John 3.16, His only begotten Son. 
Well, yes, Jesus is the, the, the Son of God, one of three of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is deity. So there is essence being the very Son of God deity, but our titles and Jesus' title as Son of God was different than just his essence. He was both God and the title of Son of God. He fulfills, you'll see here, perfectly where Adam, Jacob, Israel, everyone had failed in this command to go and be fruitful and have dominion. Well, Hosea speaks of this in Israel. He says, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away, and they kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. So throughout the Old Testament, we have this imagery of these Adam-like figures. Adam fails. These, these figures continue to fail at this command. Israel itself begins to be called the very son or firstborn of God, and Israel fails time and time again. So finally, we get to our passage in Luke, but not all the way up to our focal passage we see this in Luke chapter 1, verse 32, and we've already covered this ground, but I want you to think about this not in terms of essence, but in terms of a title, what someone is called. It says this in Luke 1, 32, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. So we have a son who will be faithful and who will rule unlike everyone in the entire Old Testament. And it takes God himself coming in the form of a man to be this faithful son. So with that as the background, we're going to read quite a bit in Luke that will help you better understand what's going on here. Rather than getting into the minutia of the passages themselves, I want you to see how these passages in Luke fit within this entire panorama of the biblical view of how we are to live and what Jesus did that we failed to do. So in Luke chapter 3, verse 21, begin reading with me. Chapter 3, verse 21. It says, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him, in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So many people really get up, uh, have all sorts of questions, rightfully so. Why did Jesus need to be baptized? What was baptism about? What was the deal with the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove physically appearing on Jesus? And those are lots of good questions, but I want you to interpret those questions with the answer that is given. This was pointing to a voice, the Father speaking. What does he say in regards to this? What, what was the, the focus of all this coming together to, for him to reveal and speak to his people? And it doesn't really sound all that exciting, to be honest with you, if you're just reading it immediately in the book of Luke. It says, well, you're my beloved son, and with you I'm well pleased. When I first read that as a teenager, I was like, man, I would like to know how Jesus walked on water. He could have told me a lot more, right? Not that Jesus is his son. I know that. He's well-pleased, of course. He's Jesus, right? 
You know, I'm sure his brothers were tired of hearing that. Oh, yeah, Jesus is the great son. He never messes up. I, I was thinking, like, okay, I've read better stories in the Bible, and maybe you're more spiritual than me. But when you look at it from this entire perspective, though, let's keep reading. The very next passage, the genealogy, you're like, really? That's even worse, Scott. That's, that's not a better story. We're, getting, we're going backwards here. But I'm not going to make you read the entire genealogy. I just want you to see something. In verse 23, it says, Jesus, when he began his ministry, in other words, at the beginning, think about what we were just talking about a minute ago. At the very beginning of creation, there was an individual God created. Things were perfect, and he failed. He failed to follow God's word. The Lord God was walking with him in the, the, the coolness of the garden. There was this intimate relationship, and yet Adam failed. Here, it says, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph. And he continues, and he goes through a lot of names. And I want you to just jump down to verse 38. I won't make you read it all. It says, the son of Enos, and he, he, he shares this entire genealogy and you're thinking, what's the point of the genealogy? And it finally gets to the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Luke identifies Adam as the son of God. Again, not deity, but made in his image. It's this title that he's describing as the son of God. Just as Israel was, was later described as the firstborn son of God, as others, and we are even identified today as sons of God. So in this picture, we have in the beginning, Jesus, and the Father is pleased. He is his son, and he will be known as the son of the Most High. So as he begins his ministry, just like Adam was supposed to have dominion and to be an image bearer of God, Jesus takes on the form of man as he begins perfectly. God is well pleased with him. And unlike the Adam, the son of God who failed, we're going to see in the very next passage in Luke chapter 4, Jesus actually succeeds. Turn just a little bit further, one more verse, and we're going to briefly just read through this so you can see this panorama being played out. Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 14. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. So the Jordan was this lush, garden-like area and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So he's led out. Just as Adam was to go out and to have dominion and failed, Jesus is led out in the Spirit. And for 40 days being tempted by the devil. Notice this. He didn't go out and wasn't charged to build cities he, wasn't, go out, he didn't, wasn't charged to go out and get a college degree and build homes. He was just to go out and be, to reflect God, his Father. So let's pause here for a second. As we're about to fast forward in just a minute and look at our lives, so many people read the Bible and they want it like, what am I supposed to do? We're supposed to not do, but we're to be. We're to reflect God's image as his disciples. There's some doing in that, but our primary purpose is just like Adam, just like Israel, and above all else, like Jesus, who did it faithfully 
We are to reflect God in this world faithfully. And you're going to see how he does it. It's cool as you watch this. For 40 days being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Again, the imagery in your mind should be not only of the garden now, but of as Israel was called out of Egypt where they had life was good. They were out in the, the wilderness for 40 years. And God didn't want anything of them. All he wanted them to do was be his people. To love him. He didn't ask any. He was going to provide everything for him. He didn't want him to do anything. Just love him. Reflect him. So what does Jesus do? Does he fail? Well, what happens? Verse 3, the devil said to him, If you are the son of God, again, are you going to be the son of God like Adam who failed? Or are you going to be the son, the true son of God? The faithful son. If you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Just like in the Garden of Eden where, where Satan is tempting Adam. He's, he's really twisting God's word. He's challenging his very desires, his inner desires. So this isn't some outward test of, well, were you religious enough? Did you build enough church buildings? Did you go on enough mission trips? Did you give enough money? Did you serve in children's ministry long enough? No, this is this challenge this inner heart it's about who we are if you are the son of God command this stone to become bread that would be real temptation for a guy who hasn't eaten in a long time and Jesus answered him did he just make something up no he quotes scripture he knows God's word and he says it is written man shall not live by bread alone and the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Notice again, thinking about the entire world as Adam was supposed to go out and have dominion, as Israel was supposed to, to go into the land and to be a, a light to the, the nations. So he shows them all the kingdoms of the world. Verse 6, and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If you will then will worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus answered him, is written, you shall worship the Lord God, and him alone you shall serve. Verse 9, and he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, once again, are you going to be the faithful son of God, or are you going to be like Adam? And the temptation is there. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. Notice this, this is Satan, just like he did in the garden. He takes God's commands and twists them. Satan knows God's word just as well as as we do, but he twists it, and he says, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Verse 14, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report went out through all the surrounding country. Once again, you see the faithful Adam, Galatians, uh, or rather in, in uh, Corinthians, Adam was the individual whom God created as the first man. Jesus came as the last Adam who was faithful. He was tempted by the devil and overcame it. So quite frankly, and here it's, it's really easy today as we're sitting here, thinking, okay, well, Scott, this is really kind of interesting. Um, 
how does this, this apply? I mean, I, I get it. We're supposed to be a reflection of, of God's glory. Um, but let's just really think about this for just a moment. If we're living, how are we going to live? In 1 Corinthians, it says, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving being or a life-giving spirit. Whatever challenge you're facing, whether it's being laid off at work because of everything going on today, whether it's a relationship, you have to choose not only life in this world, but who you're going to be in this life. As you encounter every sort of temptation, every sort of trial, who are you going to be? Galatians says, for in Christ, you're all sons of God through faith. The very scripture on the front of your bulletins this morning. That's your identity. If you have that identity in mind, you can begin to understand that, yes, you're going to do certain things just as God commanded Adam to do certain things, taking care of the garden, uh, as he commanded Israel to do certain things. But ultimately... Who we are and what we do is dramatically different than what we actually do every single day. Think about it. This coming week, what's on your plate? What do you have going on? What is your goal for this coming week? Even tomorrow, what is your goal? Well, our mission as a church is this, and this is how it begins to tie in and apply to our life. This is what's called the Great Commission. And maybe you can see, once again, this imagery of out of Genesis that comes through all of the Old Testament and Jesus' ministry himself. He says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Does that ring any bells? Adam and Eve were given dominion over all the earth, right? All authority had been given to him. Why? Because he was faithful. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, again, all the earth, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So just simply be who I want you to be, and I'm never going to leave you. That's all you got to do. Reflect me. Be, be images of me. You do that, I'm with you always. You don't have to live here in Baker, but you can. You don't have to be a dentist, but you can. You don't have to be a teacher, but you can. You have a lot of freedom, just like the Israelites had, just like the disciples had. You can do all sorts of stuff, but in whatever you're doing, you're to be this disciple who reflects Jesus. And here's the cool thing. We are no longer under the control of the things of this world. We've been set free from the power of sin and death. We no longer live for the things of this world, but for the kingdom of God. Nothing can touch us there. We have eternal life. As we talked about last week, whether we live well, if we live, it means fruitful service in this life. 
But if we die, we go to be with Christ. It's hard to choose which is better. It's this incredible empowerment that we have as we seek to be disciples. We can live the entire story of the Bible really simply. I went from the 10,000-foot level. I just want to go down to some very simple, basic truths in Scripture. We're going to close here. It's a short sermon today. Ephesians 4. Turn with me to Ephesians 4. If you're not familiar with the Bible, it's in the back. It's a letter to the church at Ephesus by the Apostle Paul, inspired by God. And now maybe as with that as the background, as you're reading the rest of the New Testament, maybe it'll make a little bit more sense to you. All the challenges they had, whether it was at the church at Galatia or the church in Corinth or in, a, in Ephesus, we're just going to cover a small snippet that is reflective of all these churches and how we are to be image bearers, how we are to be sons of God. Ephesians 4, 21 through 24 say, says this, Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, referring to Jesus, as the truth is in Jesus, verse 22, to put off your old self. Remember, we're talking about creation, and then in Jesus Christ, we have been born again. We're a new creation. Back to the the Genesis account once again. In Jesus Christ, we're new creations. So we're to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through its deceitful desires. Once again, the New Testament goes straight to the heart, our minds, our souls, our heart. It's not about this command to go out and achieve the American dream. It's about taking care of what's going on in you. So we're to put off the corrupt nature, the deceitful desires. Verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So just like Adam was, he was given the commands of God, he failed, he, he, he didn't really quite buy into it, and Eve didn't quite buy into it. He easily um, was led astray by a slight twisting of the words as well as his own heart's desires. Jesus didn't fail there. He knew God's word. He was able to overcome the trials and temptations. And how did he do that? He did it with his word, the very word of God. We're to take that and we were to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and to put on the new self. Once again, created this creation imagery after the likeness of God. Not little gods, but after the likeness of God in righteousness and holiness. Very simple application how you can live the entire story of the Bible. Not going and doing, but going and being. I got to tell you, it's much easier to show up to church on a Sunday, even in the state of affairs as it is right now. That's easy, right? It wasn't that hard for you to come here this morning. I know a few of you are like, it wasn't hard until I got my coffee and you're sitting there drinking coffee. I'm right there with you. I wish I had another cup. You're like, well, it's only an hour out of my day on a Sunday. What else was I going to do? Everything shut down. That's easy. 
But if I walked up to you and said, all right, give me your top three sins, what's your plan, and call me every day this week and let me know how you've been working on that. And then, next Sunday, we're going to talk about how you succeeded or how you failed. And I'm going to do my best to encourage you, and we're going to start again. And if you've accomplished all that, we're going to start on the next three sins the next Monday. You see, that's what it means to be a disciple. You are bearing fruit. You are changing. You're slowly being transformed and conformed to the image of Christ. In Acts, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. People literally saw and heard them, and rather than calling them disciples, they just simply described them for the first time in the history of the world as Christ, little Christians. They were image bearers of Christ. That's the entire story of the Bible lived out. That's it. There are lots of stories in there that relate to specific things and challenges and people and how they worked through or didn't work through this, but that's the whole story. In the end, new creation, new heavens, new earth, this incredible temple-like garden where we will reflect and be within the glory of God forever, where his glory is full, the earth is full of his glory. That simple. Now it's simple, but it's not easy. So here's where I want to challenge you. If you don't have anyone in your life asking and challenging you in that way as I just described, maybe not that bluntly of like, what are three sins in your life? But hey, are you, how are you growing in Christ? What, what aspects of God's word are you hiding in your heart so you can live it out? If if that is not happening in your life, in the coming weeks and months, I want you to understand we're going to simplify it here at Blue Mountain Baptist Church. We are literally going to create a list of people that understand what it means to be disciples and how that operates, and we'll get you signed up. If you don't have someone in your life that's willing to do that, we will come alongside you and pair you up. If that pair doesn't work, we'll do it with someone else. But ultimately, I can't make you a disciple. Just as you saw Adam, as you saw Israel, as you saw Jesus, and as you read in the New Testament, everyone individually must make a decision on will they follow that path, as 1 John talks about, walking in light, or will they not? Will they just kind of continue to go and sit or go and do rather than become? huge challenge and I would just ask for your prayers and I would ask you to pray faithfully in the coming weeks are you willing to take that challenge are you willing to really maybe take that next step not of a religion but of relationship and true change and can you imagine what it would look like five or ten years from now in your life if you did that every day between now and then, what would you look like? What would you sound like in your life? Would you be this glorious individual at peace in the Lord? 
would you be radically different than you are today? Which do you want more? Continuing as you are to reflect the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, uh, it's, it's easy to talk about this and it's fun to study this. It's uh, easy to say, I want to be a disciple of Jesus. But I, honestly, Lord, I can relate better to Adam and to Israel and to all the individuals in the Old Testament who failed. I know that you indwell believers with your spirit. You've sealed us. You, you've given your spirit to us as a guarantee and a deposit of the life that we have. But it's easy to take my eyes off of you and set them on the things of the world. It's easy to coast. But help me to, to realize your truth, Lord. Help me to hide it in my heart. Help me to, to see my own sins. Help all of us to truly reflect your glory. Whether it's here in Baker or wherever we go, wherever you, you allow us to go, Lord, just as we walk and we speak, um, let people see Jesus in us, Lord. We thank you for your mercy and your forgiveness and your grace in our lives. Amen.